The ninth Sunday after Trinity, August 1st, 2001. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is from the second book of Samuel, the 22nd chapter. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty, that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he sets me on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, you who set your glory above the heavens. The epistle is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. 
So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the gospel of the Lord. We confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
One thing's needful, Lord, this treasure, teach me highly to regard. All else, though it first give pleasure, is a yoke that presses hard. Beneath it the heart is still fretting and striving, no true lasting happiness ever deriving. This one thing is needful, all others are vain. I count all but loss that I, Christ, may obtain. Wisdom's highest, noblest treasure, Jesus is revealed in you. Let me find in you my pleasure, and my wayward will subdue. Humility there and simplicity reigning, in paths of true wisdom my steps ever training. If I learn from Jesus this knowledge divine, the blessing of heavenly wisdom is mine. Nothing have I, Christ, to offer you alone, my highest good. Nothing have I, Lord, to proffer but your crimson-colored blood. Your death on the cross has death wholly defeated, and thereby my righteousness fully completed. Salvation's white raiments I there did obtain, and in them in glory with you I shall reign. Therefore you alone, my Saviour, shall be all in all to me. Search my heart and my behaviour, root out all hypocrisy. Through all my life's pilgrimage, guard and uphold me in loving forgiveness, O Jesus, enfold me. This one thing is needful, all others are vain. I count all but loss that I, Christ, may obtain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? 
So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. This is the word of the Lord. The question about every parable is not, What does this mean? Instead, it is, Where is Jesus in this parable? The parables are not Aesop's fables, charming tales with a moral at the end. The parables are descriptions of God and of his work in the Christ. They point to realities, not of morality, but of life. Thus, the question must be asked about the parable of the unjust steward. Where is Jesus in the parable? Such a simple question, yet it is more difficult to answer than it seems. The father would be the master, the lord of the house. That being the case, it is the unjust steward who represents Christ. But Christ is not unjust, neither does the father commend cheating rakes. It is not a one-for-one comparison, but the undoubtable truth is that the Father and the Son are both the subjects of this parable. To understand the comparison better, another question to ask is this. What is the purpose of the parable? Why does Jesus tell it? The setting of the parable begins two chapters previously in St. Luke's Gospel. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus demands your all. If your right hand keeps you away from him, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to flee from him, pluck them out. If your mammon becomes your adulterous mistress, send her away for good. Jesus loves his church and he wishes, as the great bridegroom, to wed her. He wishes to give his entire being to her and wishes that she would receive him entirely. This is why idolatry is adultery. You cannot give yourself and receive the fullness of your beloved if you are at the same time giving some of yourself away to another. You cannot receive the fullness of God and participate in the great marriage of heaven if you secretly run off for late-night motel visits with another God. You cannot serve God and mammon. Certainly, Jesus makes this point clear in the parable. Indeed, after eavesdropping, the Pharisees derided Jesus for his parable because they were lovers of money. However, the love of mammon is not itself the central point of the parable. In fact, it is merely the outer skin of this multi-layered teaching. After having taught the crowds much about fleeing from idolatry, Jesus also said to his disciples the words of the parable. This parable is not intended for the Pharisees or the crowds. It is for the disciples. It is for you, the determined pupils and humble followers of Jesus, even in the modern age. 
Mass appeal aside, the parable of the unjust steward describes natures and relationships. It describes the sinner's relationship to God, the son's relationship to the father, and the natures inherent in all those individuals. The steward is shrewd and is even commended for his shrewdness. But is the steward's shrewdness the central point of the parable? Or is it the Lord's mercy shown to the wholly undeserved steward? Consider the parable from another perspective. You are conditioned only ever to see it from the perspective of the steward. Even the editors of your Bible select that perspective, titling Luke 16, 1-13, The Parable of the Unjust Steward. But what about that steward's master? What about the Lord of the house? The Lord is a merciful Lord. That is his character. He wishes not to be harsh or cruel, simply to be good and to be merciful. The Lord of this house is comparable to the prodigal father. Both are merciful to their detriment and both find their goods squandered at the hands of another. The Lord of the house discovers that his steward has been squandering the goods entrusted to his care. He was an unfaithful steward who cared for himself more than for the task he was given. It would be perfectly within the Lord's rights to hand the steward over to the jailers until that steward was able to pay back even the last penny. However, he does not. He simply removes the steward from his position. Does that sound like a hard-nosed businessman or like a merciful Lord? Indeed, the Lord's character as merciful is the very thing that motivates the steward to act the way he does. He says within himself, My master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. He is put out of the job, but not put into prison. This shrewd steward banks on the mercy of his master in making his own arrangements with the master's debtors. This is important because the steward realizes he cannot beg or work He cannot help himself out of his situation. He must rely on the mercy of his master and upon the goodwill of the debtors, both external sources of aid. The steward reduces the debts owed to his master to put his master in a bind. If the master were to reverse the alterations made by the steward to the accounts, He would receive wrath from his debtors, and he would lose his reputation of being good and merciful. However, if he allows the steward's alterations to stand, he garners more favor with the debtors, increasing his reputation of being good and merciful. It is therefore not for his deeds that the unjust steward is commended. It is for his shrewdness. It is for the way he chooses to handle his crisis, 
for the steward relied upon the mercy of his Lord and staked everything on that mercy. The purpose of the parable, at least one of them, is to highlight the mercy of God. The Lord was merciful to the steward, and the steward concocted a shrewd plan that was entirely dependent upon the Lord's mercy. If that shrewd and criminal steward trusted in the mercy of his Lord, how much greater ought you to trust in the mercy of your Lord? And if that Lord was merciful to his unjust steward, how much more merciful will your Lord be to you? Knowing this, it becomes much easier to identify the character of Jesus in the parable. It ought to be obvious that you are the debtors. You work the ground that is not yours, bearing fruit by the grace of another and owing a great debt to that external Lord. Yet somehow your debt is reduced, not from 100 to 50, neither from 100 to 80, but from infinity to zero. This magnificent reduction is not yours to claim, only yours to enjoy. This reduction comes at the hand of a steward, the person of Jesus, who performs his salvific work for your benefit. If the steward had his own interests in mind, how much greater is the work of Christ who only has your interests in mind? Finally, the Lord is the Father, to whom all the debts are owed, and from whom the authority of the Son has come. If the Master commended the shrewd trust of his steward, how much more does the Father commend his Son who trusts wholly and who acts according to the will of God? The parable is not a one-for-one comparison. It contains levels and elements. It is a parable of degrees, the degree to which man will act in rhetorical comparison with the degrees to which God will act. You debtors are called now to be shrewd like the steward, but not in unrighteousness. You are called to be shrewd in trusting in the Lord's mercy, in receiving him alone apart from all other mammon, and in recognizing the eschatological moment the foretaste of the end, and focusing upon the tangible mercy that God gives. For it is there, in the oil of baptismal chrism and in the wheat of the Eucharist, that the mercy in which you trust resides and where it is encountered. Be faithful, my little stewards, giving your all to him from whom you receive your all, trusting in his mercy to the end. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in our Lord Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. For the Spirit of God to remain within his Church, to defend and protect her from adversity, to preserve her from heresy and schism, and to be the breath of divine bellows that stokes the fire of faith and pure confession, and for upright and steadfast men to bear the holy orders of God faithfully. Let us pray to the Lord. For the people of Christendom, 
that residing within the church, they would inhabit a city of God set apart from the world. For the saints and martyrs of the faith who have gone on before us, of whom the world was not worthy, that they may rest in the peace won for them by Christ as they await their due reward at the last day, and that their deeds in life would embolden all Christians to be faithful even unto death. Let us pray to the Lord. In thanksgiving for regeneration and rebirth, for an increase of piety, love, devotion, and upright Christian living, for a resurgence of the faith, and for strength to rebel against the spirit of this age, let us pray to the Lord. For our country and all within her who serve to govern and to rule, for Joseph, our president, and Michael, our governor, for those who strive to preserve and uphold law and good order, for those who defend this country and her people, for kindness and compassion among the peoples, for concord among all nations, and for love to abound, let us pray to the Lord. For deliverance from every sin, error, evil, discord, and strife, for an end to war, bloodshed, sedition, and rebellion, for the work of God to chasten and to heal, for true humility in faith, for the conversion of the pagans and the return of the apostate, for the destruction of the proud and the upright, and blessing to the meek, and for forgiveness and repentance to our persecutors, slanderers, and enemies. Let us pray to the Lord. For mercy to the sinful, for provision to the innocent, the widow, the orphan, the homeless, the abused, and the needy. For the comforter to heal the downtrodden, to raise up the brokenhearted, to embrace all victims of violence and suffering, and give joy to the depressed and peace to the anxious, and for the dissolution of all spiritual poisons among the people of God, let us pray to the Lord. For the healing touch of Christ, our good physician, for the preservation of the body against all trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, for all who suffer ailments of body or soul, especially Gordon, Sandra, Daryl, Sherry, Ron, Ken, Barbara, Jeremy, Janine, Judy, Bob, and Judy. For those near death, for comfort to those who mourn, especially the family of Carson, and in eager expectation of the last day, let us pray to the Lord. Almighty Father, everlasting God and Lord, we sing with tongues of angels that you are holy. Though we cannot now comprehend you, grant us to know you. Though we cannot now see you, grant us to see your work. Though we cannot now gaze into the depths of your mind and will, grant us to gaze into the depths of your love. For you have given us your only begotten Son and his Holy Spirit, that through them we would be united to you even as we are pilgrims in this life. Joined to Christ, let us be branches of one vine, united in the spirit of peace, love, joy, and compassion, and bearing these fruits as a living body, 
held together by the bonds of Christ's own flesh and blood. Just as this bread is gathered together from countless scattered grains and the wine from many grapes, so may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom by this same Jesus Christ our Lord, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 